work-life balance, there's a new sheriff in town, work-life flexibility. We get it. Managing your personal and professional life can feel like a never-ending battle. And just when you thought the waters couldn't get any murkier, throw in a global pandemic, work-from-home orders, and a virus variant, and the 9-to-5 juggle struggle becomes as transparent as ski pants. But you don't need to put in your two weeks and head to greener employment pastures to get your handle on work-life flexibility. It's all about knowing how and when to get it working for you. Welcome to Glisten Up. I'm Katie. And I'm Christy. In this episode, we're tackling work-life flexibility and the need to redefine our approach and mindset towards the concept of work-life balance. Joining us today is Master Career Coach and President of Career Leverage, Nancy Friedberg. Nancy has been helping clients transform their professional paths for nearly three decades, from launching careers to guidance through pre- and post-retirement. Nancy, it's such a pleasure to have you on the show. I'm going to give a little background for our listeners. So, I met Nancy in the place where I feel like I do my best work, which is the nail salon. <laughs> and we just, you know, hit it off. I was talking about my current company and the great culture. And I saw this glorious head pop up from the massage chair. And she was like, I'm sorry, can you tell me a little bit more about this company? And then the ball started rolling. And I, and I just said, mm-hmm we have to have Nancy on this show. Like we value both work life, you know, flexibility and a great Manny Petty. So here we go. Um, Nancy, you were one of the early pioneers in the career coaching industry, launching your company career leverage back in 1993. How did you get into this line of work? Was there a defining moment for you that helped you realize that this was your true calling? First of all, thank you so much, Christy and Katie, for welcoming me today. I'm already laughing so hard. I'm, you stole my nail salon story, but I'm so glad you told it. And I, I want to also say that I love the title, Glisten Up. And this will talk about sort of like, I think it's a great metaphor even for coaching. I was just thinking about it as I was taking a shower for the podcast. And, you know, when you when you work out and you work really hard and then your body starts to glisten, afterwards from like the sweat I was thinking that you know that glow because when I think of glisten up you know you're talking about the glow the light right everything's shining no darkness and sadness but how do we uplift each other through the podcast and it's like you need to do the work to glisten up and it's like taking that long run and a lot of times it's like a marathon but when once you break that sweat you feel glistening Nothing feels like that, that effort that you put in. So I believe that people can have work-life flexibility and they really need to put in the effort to get it. So fast forward to my work and how I got into it. So let me just start by saying, this is your wake up call, wake up. And my question is, are you going through life consciously or unconsciously? That is huge for this whole topic and for everything that surrounds it. So My wake-up call, unfortunately, but I still believe in silver linings, came as a result of my father's death. I was in the sixth grade, and I was 11 in March when he died, and I was turning 12 in May. We had our glorious breakfast that we always have at 8.30 in the morning before I went to school. And by 8.45, he was dead. 
he had passed away suddenly of a heart attack in the guidance counselor's office of the high school where my brother was. And they were talking about his application, you know, in college admissions to college. So I know about wake up calls and I know about death. And this pandemic really, I think, has been the biggest wake up call for all of us. The way I got into the field is basically I became a seeker after that. I've always been sort of on a spiritual path and I don't mean religious. I mean, spirited and, you know, of the spirit of the soul. So when we talk about work life flexibility and why you should achieve it and why you should have it and what it's going to bring you, it's really going to help alive in your soul. Right. Because none of us want to be dead and you don't want to work for a company that feels dead and flat. Basically, I became a growth junkie. <laughs> I love that. I'm an official growth junkie. I can't get enough of growth. I live it, eat it, breathe it, sleep it. And what happened was I started joining support groups as a young kid, I think, to re- you know, relieve my own grief. And it helped me stay resilient. I mean, quite frankly, it was really hard to get out of bed in the morning. I was pressing this news alarm. And that might seem familiar to many people from the pandemic or from the pre-pandemic or any time in their life, you know. You know, when you keep hitting that snooze alarm and you can't get out of bed, something's wrong. So for me, I think the calling came, it really sort of heightened during those teen years. And I really became sort of like the pioneer as a kid. I was the wise soul. I was the, I was the sage. People would come to me. I was the inspirer, the uplifter, the motivator. And I don't know, I just had this ability to be resilient in the face of enormous grief, honestly. And I just think, you know, I was numb to my own darkness. So that's what kept me going forward. And it's been propelling me forward ever since. That is amazing that you had to deal with that. I mean, that's that's so much life at such a young age, Nancy. And you were able to to climb out. That's really, you can't see, but I'm applauding you. <laughs> you can hear, but... We don't awesome. actually climb out even. You know, we climb in and then we climb out, right? And we climb in and we climb out. So, Yeah. But it's those tools and those skills, right? I mean, I'm sure you can both relate to, you know, needing to be resilient in your in your own life story. I'm amazed, I guess, at not only the bravery and courage and tenacity and resiliency that is required to transform that kind of grief into growth, but the world is so lucky to have you and to have somebody who's really been on that spiritual junkie path. I would love to hear a little bit more about what you find most rewarding about the work that you're doing and what do you find most challenging? My blood is like, it's like rushing, just having this conversation. So much packed in here. So what's most rewarding about my work is sort of what I just said, you know, leaders come to me to help lead their teams, their own leadership efforts moving forward, you know, in times of great change. Sometimes that change is happy change, like they're moving forward because they're high potential and they're being asked to, you know, take on even more or do more in their leadership with a greater vision to propel the company forward. And sometimes they come to me in times of great change, loss and suffering, you know, like in the pandemic. So, you know, being able to have those true heart to heart, real authentic conversations, which by the way, I know those are all the new buzzwords, but I've been having these conversations my whole career with people. It's always been keeping it real. You know, I was in 9-11. I, I, I missed the building, you know, by a day. I was sitting on the 106th floor and, you know, coaching executives and five of them died. And I was supposed to be at this company 
Marshall McLennan on a, on a Tuesday. I was there every week for six months doing executive coaching. And that week they changed my day to Wednesday. So talk about meaning and reward and balance. I remember there was one guy that I was coaching and he was so frustrated from the politics at work and was weird. Like I, before the pandemic even happened, I was begging him to get out and play golf. And I was begging him to get out and spend more time with his wife, you know, as he focused on becoming a better leader and becoming more whole. And do you know that he did that? He did that. And then I was at his funeral. Oh, that is just heartbreaking. Yeah. So, so that's what my work is about. My work has always been about meaning. And I've been through it with 9-11 as a coach. I've been through it, you know, in the stock market collapse. And then I've been through it again during COVID. So I'll just end by saying that what's most frustrating to me is that I know this sounds a little spooky and uncanny, but when, when the pandemic hit, it was really odd, but I almost had this sense of relief. And it's horrible because it's such a tragic time in our lives. But I thought, thank God, maybe everybody will wake up. We've been moving so fast and going so fast and so disconnected and so away from our families and so out of touch with ourselves and so burnt out from work. It was a blessing. I'm not happy that people died. And that's why I spoke about the death. I know from death. But there was a silver lining in that. You know, they call it the pandemic epiphany. And people have woken up. They became conscious to what mattered to them. You know, so that's what frustrates me sometimes that there are no quick fixes and companies and people want to look at, you know, changes in their life, even work-life flexibility. You know, it's just a vehicle to the things I'm talking about now, right? To freedom, to transformation, to creativity, to innovation. So like we need to stay conscious. And I find when these things happen, just like with the death, everybody's all shooken up, you know, for a little while. And then they go back to the same old, same old. So I'm really hoping that employees and employers really take this time to do it differently and to create something that's truly sustainable because transactional is not where it's at for me. You know, it's, it's transformative. So that's sometimes the frustration, but COVID did it for me in terms of the message that I want to transcend to people. And I, I know our lives will be richer and, and better for it. Transformative, not transactional. That should be a bumper sticker. <laughs> I, I swear. So you obviously have been doing this for you know three decades. You've seen your clients through the biggest global disasters and upheavals. What have been the greatest shifts in career values for corporate employees and also self-employed folks, like including business owners, entrepreneurs, freelancers, and consultants over your time as a career coach? And how about the past year and a half? Right. That's a great, great question. You know, to keep it very simple, I would say that for the boomers and the pre-war generation, which came before the boomers, It was all about loyalty and security, right? Because they came from the depression and they came from sort of like post-World War II era. So, you know, we were used to that contract of loyalty. You know, I work hard. You give me structure. You give me stability. You know, you give me a framework for coming to work. You know, it's nine to five. It's pretty set. And then I go home and I have my life. So that, that loyalty and security is the way it used to be. And over the past 30 years, I would say it's changed dramatically through technology, but also through generational shifts. So. We have to remember every every time we have this conversation, every question, it's really important to look through the lens of 
generational changes, technology changes, life stage changes. You know, it's like a kaleidoscope. It's very multicolored and it's good to use a lot of different lenses. So, you know, right now where I feel it's really moved a lot towards innovation, freedom and well-being, like well-being has really come to the top of the list. And, you know, if we talk about values and I'd love to hear what you think, but I think that respect, trust and well-being seem to be the resonant values of the day. And I think it's really obvious by everyone using their voice and speaking out. Me Too movement, Black Lives Matter, you know, we could go on and on and on. So it's really about people having their voice to earn that respect, trust and well-being. And it goes both ways. You know, employers need to provide it and employees need to also give it. It's a two-way street. So I don't, what do you think about this whole current value set? I guess what kind of comes up for me is something that I see with my clients, which is this idea of, do you see me? Do you hear me? Do I matter? And I think in a lot mm-hmm. of ways, respect, trust, and the overlap of those just maybe wearing different outfits kind of sound familiar to me. And I totally, totally would love to hear a lot more about this generational component because I think we've heard about this concept of work-life balance since it began in the late 70s and into the 80s as a way to help boomers kind of combat the stress of their their work lives and enjoy their lives a little bit more outside of work. But subsequent to this, that concept got replaced with this idea of work-life integration. And now we're hearing this focus on work-life flexibility. This all can be very confusing. So if you could or would, could you possibly define for us the difference between work-life flexibility, work-life integration, and work-life balance? Thanks for bringing that up. You know, talk about the different lenses that we will look at this through. I think they're all getting to the same thing, which is this whole notion of being whole. And I was thinking about it this morning. You know, it's about being whole with the H, W-H-O-L-E, not filling the whole, you know, and you can see how the different generations as we move through these definitions of work-life balance and then integration and now flexibility, I think it's always been about, you know, filling that hole with an H where something was missing. So with work-life balance, it was a lot more clean in terms of flexibility. Very briefly, you know, work was work and life was life and they were kept very separate. So in that context, they were very opposite of each other. When I was at work, I did my work. And when I was home, I was with my family. There were no cell phones. There were no, there's no Instagram. There's no podcast. I mean, you had people's full attention. If you had, if you're on the street and you didn't have a quarter, you had luck. Like you were not calling anybody. So everything was separate. And I don't know, sometimes I'd love to go back there. It was, life was a little bit more simple. But the big reason the work-life balance and the whole flexibility came up even in the first place was I don't know how old you guys are. You might be a little bit young, but when I first started my work, it was in the mid 80s to the 90s. And that was like the whole thing about work-life flexibility and sort of developing on a mommy track. And uh, Felice Schwartz had started that. So uh, a lot of it emanated from people needing time to, you know, take care of children and have the flexibility to care for their kids. And then as the boomers became older and more prominent, which they are now, then the whole elder care thing got mixed in. So That was work-life balance, but it was kept pretty separately. And I think work-life integration was more about integrating the two and seeing if we could mix the two up and immerse them and, you know, just the beginning of it and see how it would work. And that really started with telecommuting. So telecommuting probably was the earliest form of remote work. And telecommuting was just created so that you could work from home as long as you had a laptop and a computer and a cell phone. 
you could work from home and maybe then have a little bit of flexibility to be there for your children or to be there for elder care, or even if you were single, to be there for whatever you wanted, you know, for, for an animal, or to, you know, to take classes that you were interested in, to date, to partner up with somebody. So that was work-life integration. And what's happened now is, forget about integration, now it's become boundary-less, right? So work-life flexibility, as we're defining it today, is really not about accommodation as it was what I explained previously. Accommodation means the employer granted you accommodations, you know, for that telecommute, for that reduced work week, for those flexible hours. And the boundarylessness now, I don't know, it's it's good and it's bad, right? People have had to create more boundaries now because the boundarylessness, but it's formerly the two that I just explained really benefited more the employee, I believe, and the boundaryless approach now with work-life flexibility because of the remote work has blurred all boundaries. And now employers feel explicitly or implicitly that they have access to employees 24-7. So we can talk about that a little bit. That's created a whole other host of issues. We're shining this spotlight on work-life flexibility and arrangement for our listeners. We've heard the options are greater and more varied than ever before. And as you said, Nancy, with social media and email, you can get your employees around the clock, I'm sure. Can you explain the different types of arrangements employers may offer employees and also how they can be bundled? And how does someone discern which type fits their life best? How can they go about looking at this? Again, another thing to unpack, it has a lot of layers to it. And I would say, you know, both for employers and employees alike, the key word here is trust, you know, in terms of just work-life flexibility. So employers will do the best if they trust and not track their employees. And by that, I mean, you know, just to give a very simple example, right now, the focus more than ever is on workplace flexibility, which means employees get to decide with the employer's support how, where, and when they're going to work, right? So the bottom line now is just get the job done. And employers found during the, the pandemic, like, wow, like FaceTime really doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> like you'd be on a Zoom call and it would be people of all level, your CEO would be sitting right there in his house, like a real person, you know, all the the levels in the corporation had collapsed, right? They could have a child screaming in the background. They could have a dog barking in the background. That was boundarylessness at its best. And, you know, I think this whole trust factor has become really, again, the, the prime spotlight. So what's really important is to think about flexibility in terms of mindset. And that goes on behalf of the employer and the employee. It's not just about creating like the right policy because employers have done a great job over the years creating these policies, but it's really, again, about transformation and culture change. So it has to be part of the whole system. And the other thing is that employers, it's going to be very hard for leaders to treat everybody equally, but they can treat people you know, fairly. And there's probably going to be different arrangements for different people depending on different needs. So getting to your question about what all these different arrangements you just have to think about five different things. And this would be, I think, both for the employee and the employer. The first thing is the schedule. And the second is the place, meaning where, you, you know, the place you're going to work. The third is continuity, which means if you take a break, you can come back. The fourth is workload. And the fifth is the mode. Have you thought at all about sort of putting in those buckets? 
Probably not, right? It just seems like a, a big blur. I love that what you said about the trust, how employers will do their best to trust and not track employees. And there's been all this talk. I feel like it was a scare tactic when this all happened of, we're going to be tracking you and seeing how much time you spend on your computer. And I'm sure I've seen a million of those TikTok videos where they have the person will be doing something way other than clearly working. They'll be in the bathtub and just have to scan their finger across their, their <laughs> mouse pad to show, hey, I'm still here. Right, right. I'm still, quote, working. But I think as time has gone by, it doesn't matter if you're getting your work done at 3 p.m. or 3 a.m. as long as it's right. just getting done. And if you want to do it at your desk or the comfort of your bathtub, no judgment. Right. Or in Hawaii, you know, a lot of <laughs> kids, the kids were flying all over the place, you know. I mean, I have two millennials at home and they wanted to work from all different places, from Utah, from Florida, from California. And that's the beauty of it. You know, it's the employers don't ask, they don't know, but you're getting the work done. So it's not about FaceTime. One really funny story. When Bill Gates started Microsoft in the early days, he actually he memorized people's names, but he memorized their license plates. And why did he do that? Because he wanted to know the license plate of all his employees in the parking lot so that he could actually track, you know, when they started and when they left. So that is such a great example of how completely opposite it is now that, you know, FaceTime really doesn't matter. And this whole notion of trust, Christy, your examples were so good and so spot on because like right now we need to focus on the fact that employers want employees with a flexible mindset and employees with a flexible mindset don't say it's not my job or, you know, I'm bored or I don't feel like doing that. They're like, no problem. You know, I'll use my creativity and resourcefulness to get this job done and you can count on me and I'll make sure that it gets done and our customers are happy. And that gives them ownership when the employer on their side of the house gets employees with a flexible mindset who are willing to take ownership and who aren't slackers and do the hard work like I was talking about before. You know, the ones who are glistening, they'll get the rewards and the employer needs to let go and trust, you know, not try to control it, but to empower it. Katie, you see the professional side of this in terms of your clients. And I'm wondering if the anxiety has accelerated or decreased over time with this idea of the flexibility. Do your clients feel like they're being tracked and they're worried about that or it's easing as this new paradigm is in place? I love that question, Christy. I mm -hmm. wish there was a more uniform answer. And it is, so, you know, similarly to the holistic nature of my approach to counseling, every client just kind of comes with a very different mindset. I think on a more macro level, I've been seeing companies redirect their focus to have and empower their employees to have a little bit more of that flexible mindset as Nancy so beautifully described. But unfortunately, I'm not totally sure at this point that that is the rule and not the exception, though I, I hope there is kind of the shift toward that as we you know continue to progress in this really dynamic, unique work environment. And I would say that my clients who are the most anxious about their you know, lack of work-life flexibility are the ones who do feel like they're being more heavily tracked and not quite as trusted at work. I had that feeling, which is why this episode really resonates with me. I was a ball of stress with legs mm. when our company that I used to work for, like, we are going to track you, just prepare for that. And I just felt like it put up this wall of, I am not a person to you. I am just mm. a 
a number on the payroll that you are just going to make sure I'm doing this. And that was my, that was really a huge red flag. And I get it. A lot of this, I think is, is fear based on the company side to, yes, they're worried that, oh my gosh, we don't have control anymore. We need to do something that will mandate and, and make everyone be on the same playing field. But now I think, you know, the encouragement, have your employees go out and go for a walk for um, the middle of the day, get some new ideas. It's just, yeah, the flexibility is, is crucial. You know, with that dialogue back and forth, that banter was so key and really just brought it all to life. It is so true. And, you know, whatever I'm talking about today is, is the vision, it's the movement, it's, it's what the studies are bringing up. It's what we have to work towards. That's why this will not be a transactional process. I mean, it's so scary, Christy. You're right to feel like a number because now we have all these data analytics and we have people analytics and, you know, we can track the person's every move and their keystrokes and, you know, their whereabouts. And that's what's scary. It's not about, again, it's not about control. It's about trust and trust has to be earned. Trust comes with time, right? Trust comes with intention and being conscious, waking up, not being asleep and just going through the motion. So I'm so glad you brought that up. And it goes back to well-being, right? You know, satisfaction, joy in work and fulfillment. How do you think having this more flexible work-life schedule can create a more effective approach to how we segment our time and become more fulfilled and satisfied, not just as people, but as a society? You know, that's why these five modes are really important that I was describing before. So let me just, I just want to give some like, again, a concrete context to this. But when you think about scheduling and like what you just talked about in terms of, you know, how do we segment our time? Different policies will help you address your time in different ways, right? So there's flex time, which means I can come later and leave later. You know, there's a compressed work week, which means I want to shove all my work, you know, five days worth of work into four and maybe not get reduced pay or just work four days and, you know, the number of hours that would equate to four days, eight times four is 32 hours and just not get paid for that fifth day. If people work on shifts, like around the clock, they can do a shift swap. Then there's self-scheduling. So these are all policies that are created to meet the needs of the way the company is able to have their employees segment the way they get their work done. And again, it is really important important for the employees to feel satisfied and productive. But, you know, let's face it, they, they, we want them to be productive and fulfilled because they will give us their best and it will positively affect the bottom line. I mean, we're still in business to make a profit, but we want to do it with excitement and joy and great energy. So it's, it's really something that everybody has to be working at. The other thing that's really dynamic and it relates again to the, to the customer and to the employee is where are you going to do the work? So You know, it could be a telework situation, which is telecommuting, which means I can count on this employee having this schedule, working from home some days and working in the office. So if I'm your customer, at least I know where I can reach you and where you might be working or what your schedule is. If I work part time, like, for example, when I built my business, I started my business three years before my first son was born. The reason I did it is not because only I wanted to be my own boss and be the, you know, the master of my fate, but I wanted flexibility. So when I worked part-time for a corporation and I built my business up on the other two days, the managers that I worked for in the office, they knew I was in the office Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, 
and they knew I was home Monday and Friday. And I set a very clear boundary, like, you know, you can't call me because those are the days that I was home doing things with my son, taking him to the doctor, taking him to a mommy and me class. So trust me, they definitely wanted to invade those boundaries. You know, they didn't like it. They wanted to still be boundaryless. Let us get paid for three days and work five. And when they said they needed me more, I was flexible. I said, but you're going to have to pay me for that time. That's not a three-day week schedule. It's up to the employer to respect the boundary, but it's up to, to us, to the, you know, the employees or the people that we're serving in terms of creating this flexibility. It's up to the employee to also have a voice and say, you know, this is not what I signed up for. That's not the flexible arrangement we agreed to. And that takes guts. I think about it. We teach people how to treat us. Yeah. And I realize that's hard to think about in a professional setting that, well, this, this company is employing me and I have to follow the rules. But as you so beautifully showed us, Nancy, if you respect your own boundaries and the values that you subscribe to, people are going to do that too. And if anything, it'll give them inspiration to say, no, you cannot contact me during the hours of 1 and 2.30. I have a scheduled doctor's appointment that my health is a value to me and I'll see you after my appointment kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, that's one of my favorite sayings, Christy. You teach people how to treat you. It is so true. And yeah, I mean, that was the time where flex time was very new. And, you know, women who were on this like mommy track, I mean, they seemed like, oh, they were taking work less seriously. And that wasn't the truth for me. I mean, they knew that I was building a business on the side. They actually, I left them three years prior and I had this job that I loved in leadership and career development. And when I decided to leave that company because I didn't like the way they were caring about their employees, I was in HR. This other company that I just told that story about, I mean, they welcomed me with open arms for a three-day work week, which was manna from heaven because I was able to build my career on the other two days. And I thought the managers were looking at me like, oh, yeah, she's pregnant because I was pregnant. Oh, she's like I'm on the mommy track and she's not taking it seriously. <laughs> I mean, little did they know I was working six, seven days a week pregnant to get the flexibility I wanted. So I was no less serious about my career. So that's why I spoke up because they were going to think what they were going to think. You know, she's probably taking work less seriously. She can have a baby and she'll probably leave. Yeah, but that was a long time ago. That was in the 90s. That's not like that today. Well, maybe it could be still, but it's a lot less. Nancy, where does career experience, performance levels, or accrued time fall when creating a flexible work-life schedule and gaining leverage with your employer? Does it matter as much as we think? Yes. Yes, yes, and yes. That is another really good question. Going back to this whole notion of trust, it's something that has to be earned. And if you look at that in contrast right now to the great resignation, I'm going to make like a different point. But, you know, Katie before was referring to things on a macro level. And on a macro level, this past August, I mean, we saw the, the greatest rates of resigning from companies, I think, ever in the history of work. So people are not leaving because they're all like happy, happy. <laughs> they're leaving because they're sort of at war. They're in a rage and they feel burnt out and they feel like their boundaries have been crossed and there's like a zero tolerance for it now. So we have to be careful, right? Because right now the attitude is, you know, F you. I know there's a shortage of employees. I know that it's a job seekers market right now. You know, there's a demand for workers. We've been hearing about it every day and employees are fighting again to get the best talent. But it's really important if you've been at your company and you don't plan on leaving your company. I will tell you that I have seen those that I've coached and worked with in organizations 
those who have typically gotten the best arrangements are those people that the employer knows will hit it out of the park no matter where they are working. They do trust them. They do have credibility. They have been productive. They take complete ownership over their work. And so if I was an employer and I had a choice about who to give it to, am I going to give it to the one who's complaining and really upset and whining about it with no solution? Or am I going to give it to the employee with the flexible mindset who's been producing and showing up and who I know my customers want to work with, right? So really good point. Really good point. It's something that you have to be earned. It's not an entitlement. The idea of this work-life pulse check almost and like how employees can really kind of test that for the company that they're, you know, either currently working for or ones that they're kind of scouting out for who and where to apply. I know from a little bit more of like a solution focused lens, I would love to hear if there are any ways that employees can kind of take that temperature check of their current work-life balance and how they might know that it's time to investigate that a little bit more deeply. Yeah, I think it goes back again to the notion that I spoke about of, you know, first of all, if you feel burnt out, (laughs) when you were talking about the pulse check, I was laughing, but it wasn't funny. And I was like, basically, you know, one good temperature check is, you know, do I have a pulse? Right. (laughs) Do I even have a pulse? And I mean that seriously. I've worked with people that got so burnt out from work because it was either like the wrong fit or the wrong employer or it was really toxic workplace because maybe they had a toxic childhood and and they were abused. And so we know the pattern. So they kept attracting these monster bosses, horrible bosses. And as Christy said, they didn't know how to treat them. You know, they they didn't know how to treat the employee because the employee didn't know how to treat themselves. So a really good temperature check is how are all the other areas of my life doing? Do I see my friends? How is my well-being? You know, there's no excuse not to meditate now or do yoga or take a class online. We have such an amazing dearth of tools out there. It's like incredible. Podcasts, books, and photos. There's so many ways to connect, you know, that we don't have to isolate. We don't have to be alone with this problem. So really looking at all parts of your life. How are your finances? Do you feel abundance? You know, are you social? Are you seeing people? Are you craving creativity? When the pandemic came, it's like, I'm so creative and I I love bringing creativity to my work, but I just took like a watercolor painting art class this summer. I was happier than a pig in poop. It was like my first one and I brought it home and everyone's like, oh my God, you're really good at this. So it's, you know, it's really great to be able to tap into the things you used to get to do that you don't even have a chance to do anymore. And one thing I want to say, it was a great thing. I learned it from uh, Laura Berman-Forkang, who was, who was a colleague and also was a mentor of mine and taught me a lot. She wrote the book, Now What? 90 Days to a New Life Direction. And one thing you can do is if you feel you are burnt out, you know, and you've lost your pulse, is to do what's called hobby by crisis. So to actually take on a hobby that has nothing to do with work. Something that would just energize you and feed your soul. Maybe it's writing, maybe it's dancing, maybe it's art, maybe it's going out to play tennis. I had a client who felt unseen and unheard. So I said, you know, go out and play tennis. And he got to get back his competitive edge and he got to use his strategic mind. And, you know, he got to feel strong and powerful. And, you know, that worked great. I had another employee who was burnt out and came to me to a crisp and she took a sabbatical from work. I taught her how to set that up. And she's since left and started her own business. And one hole that she found, when you think about all the different populations of people and what people need and, you know, how to take their own temperature, you know, you have 
people with children, you have people with elder care issues, and then you have people that are single, people that may feel left behind because they don't have either of those. So what have they got to ask for? And I will tell you, I've worked with so many women into their mid to late 30s that come to me and say, I hate my work. It's something's missing. Something's missing. And I go, well, how's your social life? And they're like, what social life? I'm like, well, you know, do you have a partner? Do you want to have a partner? And, you know, they, they, they really became unconscious and got so caught up in their identity of work and their ambition that they just put their whole personal life on hold. And, and that was really what was missing. But they weren't really in touch with taking the pulse on their needs for intimacy and connection and love and belonging. So again, wake up. Are you conscious? Yeah. I mean, I feel like we've been hearing about this concept of of burnout since the great resignation and all the events leading up and also post. And I like to think of it as if you're suffering from burnout, be like a phoenix. You can rise from the ashes and it's okay to feel the burnout because there's something better waiting on the other side. Mm-hmm. So power to the phoenix. I love that. I live by a bunch of sayings about that. And, and you're so right. You know, if you feel burned to a crisp, it's like you could feel like a mess. But every breakthrough is preceded by a breakdown. And you could tell yourself, bless the mess, bless the mess. And you're right, there's always a silver lining and, you know, it's to have it be okay and to give yourself compassion and to slow down, you know, hit that pause button. That is crucial to hit the pause button. I love that. Breaking down, breaking open, and then breaking through. And mm-hmm. when it comes to this work-life flexibility that we're speaking so deeply about today, I'm curious how much of the onus falls on the employer for creating that. Well, it's another really good question because, you know, I want to say that I feel that this is a we, this is a we issue. You know, it's not a me issue, meaning it's not me, just the employee. And it's not me, just the employer, specifically me, the boss, right? It's about us. It's about we. So the onus really falls on both parties. But the thing with the employer is that I just want to go back to this you know, whole notion of that this is not just about creating a whole nother policy. I mean, I think they think like, oh, great. You know, now I see the employees can work remotely and I see they can get the job done and I could see I can save rent and I could see I can just have them work out of their house. And, oh, I see I can just call them at eight in the morning. I could start a meeting at 7 a.m. You know, I could expect them to answer an email at 10 p.m. It's, it's not about the remote and 24 access. It's got to be something that's cultural. The remote work was just a reaction to a crisis. So, you know, I really would love for employers and employees to think about being responsive, you know, not reactive. So it's not enough just to create the policy on the employer's part. It's really important for the leaders and the leaders under the leaders, the supervisors and middle management. It has to be something that is sort of like from the top down and rolled from the bottom up where it's more systemic. You know, it's more of an organizational wide cultural shift. Otherwise, it's just going to be the flavor of the month and they'll just do it for now. And if everything goes to sort of somewhat normal, I mean, I don't think it's ever going to go back to the way it was, but it really, the whole thing has to be viewed in a much more holistic view from the individual's perspective and from a systemic view, you know, with the employer's perspective. So the employer will set up the structure to offer the flexibility and then to, you know, respect that structure they set up. 
And again, as we talked about, be able to let go and to trust as long as the employee earns it and makes good on how they use the flexibility. How can employees work through the fear of powerlessness when optimizing and advocating for themselves in a business setting? I love the great resignation. (laughs) I'm sorry, employers, because they got to the point where they didn't work through the fear. They just said, screw it. I feel powerless. So I'm leaving. I'm leaving. Game over. That action represented the frustration of their voice and basically employees saying, you know, I do feel powerless because you are my superior and you have power over me and you're going to dictate my life. And one thing about flexibility, why do we love flexibility? We love it because it creates optionality, right? Flexibility creates options and options create freedom. And if you feel like you have options and you feel more free, you will feel empowered to speak up. You will feel empowered to build a business case for why the employer should give you this type of schedule because you're a strong employee, because you have a strong core, because you're centered, because you know yourself well, you know why you're doing what you're doing. And you're also talking about how you want to do it. So Christy, I I think it just goes back again to that thing you were talking about, which is, you know, you teach people how to treat you. And it's really important for all of us in life not to give our power away. And again, I know it seems hard, of course, because the paycheck's hanging over your head. But I can tell you when I left my job, my last corporate job, and, and I knew that I wanted to work for 10 years in corporate HR, and I worked for really progressive HR departments and organizations, I had the best experience. I was so fortunate. And I work with very innovative and really smart consultants to design these particular programs. But, you know, in a nutshell, I'll give a quick story. I was at my last corporate job and I was managing fast trackers, 40 of them. And I wrote the performance reviews for each of these high potential leaders. And they were like, they had five different assignments and they had to like live in different places in the country and they had children. One of the women was pregnant and I brought out all the tough issues. I put it on the table. I was only like 20, 29 years old. And, you know, there was a lot of like white men that were, you know, in management. And I got them to talk about the tough issues. And I remember that I got dinged. You know, I had these great bosses above me where we created this great program. And then, you know, they left. And then these other crew of management came in and they said, you're spending too much time on these reviews. We don't want you spending so much time on this. And I'll never forget the employee said to me, this is some, this is like one of the best performance reviews I ever got because I labored over every word and I, the feedback, I cared about it. And my performance review went from a, like a four the year before when we won an award for the program to a one. <laughs> I just tell the story, you know, performance reviews, like you, you get a rating on a scale of one to five. And I had done so much for that program and so there was so much impact and I knew that was my wake up call. I said, you know, this is my signal. It's time to start my business because I said, you know, I will never, ever have an employer tell me how I do my work, what my values ought to be and how I treat people. And it was a beautiful thing because it gave me the launch pad that I wanted. So um, they wanted me to feel powerless with that rating. And of course, it decimated my self-esteem and my identity, you know, for a few months. But I, I just I fought back and it made me become even more passionate about my work. So this work takes digging. Christy and Kate, it really got to excavate and dig deep and uncover so that you have that strength not to feel powerless. But I would say building a business case is the most empowering thing you can do. Why it's going to benefit the employer and how and why it's going to benefit you and how.
kind of speaks to the power of how much of a difference a year can make, but also, you know, those, those tiny moments that feel so painful mm-hmm. in the, the then, and then can be really transformed to, you know, as we've been speaking so, so, so much about today, this wake up call, and you are doing so much to kind of lift the consciousness of not only our listeners, but everybody that you work with. And now that we're awake, we're conscious, we've taken that pulse check and we can feel that heartbeat. And we like to end every episode with just giving our, our listeners three concrete action steps that they can do to start creating more flexible work-life environment and how to control how, where, and when they work, if they work for an employer. Sure, sure. I would say, you know, the overarching theme here is, and you can hear it in my my story and you know, the thousands of stories that I have for my, my clients, and that is that it's really critical to get in touch with what you value, because values are your anchor and values mostly, you know, are usually very sustainable. So do you value prestige? Do you value power? Do you value flexibility? Do you value having an impact? Do you value helping society? Do you value financial security? Do you value creativity? That will be the underpinning of what drives everything that you do. So the number one is know yourself. And just you know, very concretely, you can hire a career coach. You can there are career assessments you can take online. There are books that have all kinds of wonderful exercises to write in and answer questions about, you know, this journey that you put yourself on listening to podcasts like this. So there's a dearth of resources out there, but I would say know yourself, do the work. Don't just skip over it and just look to take the next job and grab because that's desperation and you want to have options and you only have options by doing the work. So number one, know yourself. Number two, Research, 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 right? You know, in real estate, it's location, location, location. And when it comes to this, knowledge is power. And I actually have to thank you. I learned so much more about this topic because I've been researching like crazy before the podcast. And it was astounding how many incredible articles and research studies there are out there, you know, that cover this. Oh, and by the way, in terms of research, I just want to throw out this tidbit. Harvard Business Review writes a lot of really good articles on the topic. And just recently, right hot off the press, not long ago, an article came out through Harvard Business Review called The Future of Flexibility at Work. And that's a really good article to look at because the three authors that wrote it did research over like three decades. And they really go through the nitty gritty of, you know, how to create this flexibility and also go into the those five modes that I talked about earlier. It's funny. I just, I really lived what I'm talking about for 30 years. It's just, I don't know, this stuff came to me intuitively a long time ago. So I guess that's why I do what I do. The third thing that I want to say is after you know yourself and what you want and you do your research so you can figure out, you know, which one of those flexible schedules you want and which company is doing it best, right? You'll learn that in the research. Go to Glassdoor. I mean, there's so many different ways to find out, you know, Monster, go to LinkedIn, you know, see what people say about the company, talk to people that work in the company. After you get all that knowledge, both of yourself and and the outside market and your options, then you want to build the business case. Knowing how to build a case and knowing how to show your value and your unique advantage is essential, you know, to getting what you want. Well, Nancy, I have to say, I know we're not scoring you, but if we were giving you a performance review, we'd give you a 12 out of five. (laughs) 
<laughs> Thanks. A mix up for the one that I got from that mean bitch boss a long time ago from Princeton. <laughs> In a weird, I'm all about thanking people that gave me, oh, yeah. you know, like gave me a review I didn't like or or made me think a different way about myself. I'm just like, you know what? There's a country song that my dad showed me when I was like, I don't know, 12. And it's called, I want to thank everybody that told me no. Right. <laughs> I love it. I love and it. I, yeah. I can't remember the, the, the artist, but I just know it was country. I just want to thank everybody who told me no when he was pitching <laughs> his, his recordings to the studio execs. Right. That's why I love the great resignation because everyone's saying, no, I will not tolerate this anymore. So it's like, you know, okay, if you're going to claim, then you got to have that fight back attitude. You know, I'll show you. That's what I did. And that's what my clients do. And that's what you, you know, you women do every day. I'm sure at your company and, um, you know, it's good. It's all good. It keeps us going. It keeps us having a pulse and keeps us energized. Get those manicures. This is work-life flexibility. You got that time. Go meet a Nancy. She's out there. Hang out in the nail salon. <laughs> Katie knows every time we would talk on the phone all the time during the pandemic. And she was like, let me guess, Christy, where are you today at the nail salon? It was some people had their creative outlet. Some people did a lot of exercise or eating or mix of both. My nails were a different color like every four days. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's the best part. That's the biggest decision every week. By the way, I want to meet you in the nail salon again. Please let me know when you make your next appointment. <laughs> and Katie, you got to come join us. You got to come up to the country. I can't wait. Uh, nails for everybody. Andrew, you're invited too. <laughs> oh, yeah, the last amendment getting pedicures sitting in those amazing massage chairs. Well, Nancy, this has been such an illuminating episode. It's been such a pleasure having you on. And I think it goes to show that spontaneity and unexpectedness, if that's a word, yes. of life. Like, be yes. open. Synchronicity. Yep. Yeah. Christy, you really get it. You get it. Thank you so much for joining us, Nancy. What an insightful discussion on the power of work-life flexibility and how to get it working for you. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Glisten Up, the podcast that encourages you to perspire in order to inspire. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple and Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We're your hosts, Christy. And I'm Katie. Andrew O'Donnell is our audio producer. Until next week, listeners. Woohoo!